Okay, uh, we have already started uh, recording. So thank you very much, everybody, for your uh, joining us today uh, for the AWA Los Angeles Las Vegas section town hall meeting. We really highly appreciate. We have a very exciting um, presentation today. Uh, I, I mentioned to you a little bit about this background. Um, but first of all, I just want to mention today the topic is aerospace cybersecurity. In case you didn't know, you can look at AWA.org website. Aerospace cybersecurity has been one of the top priority for AWA national effort. So because uh, you know everybody is using you know computer, that you have the um, systems, you know software and the communications and uh, um, AI, those things, you need a lot of uh, security in the cyberspace. And AWA um, view this aerospace cybersecurity very seriously. It's a very uh, main topic, you know, for AWA. Um, and also like the digital twins, Dennis talked about digital twin. Uh, this kind of very important thing, and uh, JPL, many places, they have been using a lot of tools and they need very, very good uh, cybersecurity. And the other thing, in case you didn't know, uh, AWA just established the uh, Aerospace Artificial Intelligence, AI, uh, advisory board, national advisory board. So, uh, so AWA has been watching all the new developments uh, for those kind of things, cybersecurity and AI, uh, how do they play out in the uh, uh, aerospace community. So it's very, very important. We actually have been doing uh, as a local chapter LA Los Angeles Las Vegas section. We've been doing quite several uh, aerospace cybersecurity events um, to let people know the importance of what they can learn. Uh, the most recent will be the one in September. We have the um, retired Air Force Colonel from Space Command, Jennifer Kolikowski. Colonel Kolikowski, right here in this room, talk a bit about you know this uh, uh, cybersecurity importance. And today we are expert will tell us more. But before we go to that, add some logistics. So for people online, uh, I ask the speaker, so you are welcome anytime you can uh, raise your hand, we'll enable your microphone. You're welcome to speak out to inter interrupt her. But you're also welcome to reserve your question all the way to the end. Even though today is setting is more like a webinar, uh, but you can still get the mic in enabled and uh, speak out, that's the, that's the best way. But of course, your microphone doesn't work. Uh, you can type your question, we'll do the best to help you. Uh, so we just heard from Mr. Kuman, Santos Kuman, he was able to speak out uh, using microphone, that's actually better. Um, and then for the folks here, um, the restroom is on the back side to your your left hand side, and, uh, um, what else? and uh, we have the donut here, crispy green donut, very nice. And tomorrow is Super Bowl, so we have the football donut. <laughs> Um, that's a souvenir for folks here in person. So please grab it. Um, having some fun before Super Bowl. Uh, I was thinking about getting the donut for Valentine's Day, but Super Bowl first. Yeah. <laughs> Football is more important. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe because it's tomorrow, that's why I'm uh, having some fun here with bottle water. Um, so that's for folks here. And the folks here, you just raise your hand, you know, during the talk or at the end. Uh, and after the talk, and you are welcome to stay here, network with the speaker uh, about this. And uh, so the next thing, okay, then we can move. AIWA is, as you know, a nonprofit organization, membership-based professional organization. Uh, we have more than 30,000 members around the world. 
and, uh, and focus on professionalism and education, um, uh, the, those kind of things. I remember working in all the aer major aerospace, um, aerospace industry, and uh, we have four university student branches in, in uh, the Los Angeles, Las Vegas section. Uh, we have Cal State Long Beach, UCLA, USC, and UNLV. The reason I mentioned it, two weeks from today, actually minus one, Friday, February 23rd, we are going to have a uh, LALV section, University Student Branch Media Conference in Long Beach with Spin Launch. And we're a speaker from Aerospace Corporation. We uh, intend to help the student connect to the industry. Uh, so um, we also get an exhibitor from uh, Aerospace Corporation and uh, some other company. Um, so that, uh, let's just let you know that uh, who we are and, and our, our board with uh, members from JPL, uh, Nosa Groman, uh, Medicine, and for example, our advisor, Dr. Jeffrey Pushel, is a fellow. He has recently been inducted to National Academy of Engineering, Dr. Jeff Pushel. Uh, so uh, then we have you know, many, many folks that are very good for every aspect of aerospace. Uh, we have also folks, our young, young professional chair is in Lockheed Martin and uh, um, many different, you know, we are a group of professionals get together to help the community, that's to be short. Uh, our speakers are volunteer, uh, like Rick on the back, he's going to give a talk with Dennis on the back, they're all our volunteer speakers, they're going to give a wonderful talk in March 9th, uh, so please join us in Longdale Library. Um, so the other thing, okay, now, now I can, uh, if you are not a member yet, please uh, go to aiwa.org slash join. A high school membership is free, educator is free, and a young professional gets 50% off. And if you, in case you forgot to renew, it's very important. Um, if you stay with a membership for uh, continuously for 15 years, you become emeritus, and you don't have to pay anything anymore. Then we also have lifetime membership, you know, those kind of things, please enjoy. Um, so that's uh, typically, and the LA chapter here, we are blessed with many aerospace uh, uh, Activity, any anything you can think of from e veto, uh, e aircraft to SpaceX, the relativity space. I just heard uh, uh, Sanji talk about this uh, 3D printing. They have relativity space uh, right in Long Beach. They build 3D rocket, uh, 3D printed rocket. And uh, Dennis used to work in North Carolina. It's a very exciting place. Uh, they just had the sickness uh, sent to space too. Um, so we have many people here and uh, come from variety. And even though you're not in the aerospace, it's good to get involved. So I took a little bit long time because I want to make you sure to get familiar with the way. So I'm going to get to this, our speaker, engineer, um, uh, engineer Tsupoi. Sorry, I connected. I always think about the movie star, but she is also like uh, the rising star of the aerospace. Um, uh, she is from Chattanooga College. She has been doing, she's also a pilot. She's also a very good programmer. She has been instructor for uh, cybersecurity. Um, so one thing I want you to be aware that uh, even though you might have a look at her background and uh, she is in high school, but I can tell you these days in high school students, they have to do wonderful jobs, especially in you know these days in LA area. I've been telling people, Two days ago, I, I, I served as a judge in the Los Verdes High School, and the student was doing neural network, um, uh, you know, uh, in the chat GPT, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, uh, supernova analysis, and uh, space debris, salesman, uh, traveling pro program. It's just amazing. And before that, even students claimed that 
they show the uh, four vector tensor. They prove Einstein was wrong in general relativity, quantum mechanics, complicated communicate, uh, computation, and even doing things like femtol second laser. So I can tell you these days young people doing amazing things. So don't uh, have any prejudice that, oh, high school or, you know, so there is, must be something that, uh, but uh, you will be very surprised. And actually before Angelina today, we actually have two or three talks by high schools that is actually very wide opening. Um, but on the other hand, they are actually just getting started with their career. Uh, although they are very experienced doing multiple jobs, but you know, some people of you might be director or very experienced in, in cybersecurity or any field. Uh, so please give very good suggestion and advice. Uh, please keep in mind uh, they are beginning in their career, but you will be surprised how, how knowledgeable and experienced they are. Uh, so here I'm uh, handing the microphone to Angelina. So please enjoy the great presentation. Again, if you have any questions, you are welcome to raise your hand. Online folks, please click. Um, raise hand and uh, we'll enable your mic to you speak out. So uh, without further ado, let's welcome Angelina Zuboli. Thank you so much, Kenneth, for presenting this opportunity. Demanded an AI Google number for a few years now. Um, and I've always had a very enriching experience every time I've come to one of these events. I always end up connecting with really bright individuals and learning a lot about what's going on within the aerospace tech sphere. So today I'll be talking about my experience within aerospace cybersecurity. And it'll just be general anecdotes of what I've learned within my experience um, doing all sorts of things within the aerospace realm. I've worked with drones, I've done um, aviation-related work since um, I got my private pilot license, I've been doing auditing of um, avionics systems, and I'll mostly be talking about satellites and how you can integrate security practices in order to secure space systems. Because we're realizing now that as the space economy increases and we're seeing more development and more launches of satellites, we need to be really putting security at the forefront. So a lot of vulnerabilities affiliated with satellites are not um, taken advantage of. Okay, so a little bit about my background. I started off in software about a decade ago. Um, and I have a pretty extensive computer science experience developing mobile systems, web applications, so forth. And then I transitioned into cybersecurity a few years ago after working at a security company. And since then, I've done projects. Could you reshare because it's not showing this? Could you share online? Interesting. If not, um, again. I'm so sorry. Oh, no problem. No problem. Yes, it's not mirror, going up. We have to mirror them in uh, system preferences. Sure, It's coming up, but it's a bit slow. Okay. Yeah, I think and, that's Angelina. I think if you go to system preferences and mirror the displays, it'll show up. Yeah, or maybe the network. That's 
slow because I'm connected to my hotspot right now. Okay, okay. Okay, I, I they can see. They can see. You can see it? Can they see it? Okay, cool. Yes. Wonderful. <clears throat> okay, um, continuing. Yeah, um, and then I, within my cybersecurity experience, I kind of leeway into airspace after doing an internship with NASA and learning about space vehicle infrastructure. And then I got into instructing with cybersecurity. I started instructing pretty basic like hardware hacking based workshops, but then I wanted to put my own spin to the cybersecurity workshops I was doing. And I partnered with organizations such as Redia and Pentest Magazine in order to give um, satellite and aerospace specific lectures in order to make sure that they were built with security in mind. I also own a little side company called Stellarx Labs that I founded a few months ago. Um, currently, we're focusing more on consultation and training and education. Um, most of the lectures I've been doing have been confined to in-person settings. So usually I do um, workshops at conferences. I've been at DEF CON um, and other like various makerspaces around here. But our mission is to provide that for a more global um, audience and not just locally here in Los Angeles. Okay, so I just noticed the bars up there. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Um, okay, there we go. So there are three, I would say um, the main reasons for having security within embedded within space systems are threefold. Firstly, there is a um, prominent lack of security, especially within development of space infrastructure. And we're seeing this a lot because of resource constraints and especially with startups and companies that aren't really funded being introduced into this sphere, um, we don't have a lot of companies that are focusing on security because they want to get a working product out immediately. Um, a lot of security is just put on the side until it actually really becomes a, product, a problem. And this is also extremely important because as the space market expands over the next few years, as it is projected to, um, it's really important to be paying attention to these vulnerabilities that are intrinsic to these space systems, especially as the attack surfaces on these systems become increasingly more complex and dependent upon space technology. So in terms of previous case studies, there have been multiple instances of satellite-based attacks that have occurred in the past. The most prominent one, it was on a US-German collaboration satellite called the Rosat satellite. And this was back in 1998, where a group of hackers were able to compromise computers located in Goddard Space Flight Center. And they were able to send malicious commands up to the satellite that caused it to rotate its solar panels and 
since space has a relatively harsh environment, any minute adjustment of specific um, components, such as the solar panels, could cause wide-scale repercussions. And in this case, um, rotating solar panels directly, directly towards the sun caused the batteries on the satellite to fry, and the satellite subsequently crashed back into Earth in 2011. In terms of more modern hacking attacks, we've seen a lot of jamming and spoofing related communication attacks on Starlink satellites. And this was really prevalent, especially during the Ukraine-Russian conflict, where um, Russian-affiliated hackers were trying to compromise internet services that were provided by the Starlink constellation. In terms of um, more research-based telescope satellites, this is really recent. I think it was in August of 2023. The National um, Science Foundation's NORLAB experienced multiple hacking attempts, which led to suspension of two astronomical um, observation laboratories. So when we're talking about security, we can typically segment it within the four categories outlined. There's the space, ground, link, and user. And usually these are all very interconnected and vulnerabilities exist between the connection between these various categories. So the space segment outlines various activities um, and systems directly within space. So this can be satellites themselves, various space vehicles, and so forth. The ground, se the ground segment consists of communications systems, ground stations, um, and then there's a link segment, which is responsible for coordinating the communication between various um, space vehicles located within space, or space and ground, or ground and ground, and this includes things such as radio, packets, communications, and so forth. And lastly, we have the user segment, and this is for commercial services, this is when you want to access services provided by space. So this could be something like a, a typical dish antenna in order to get video broadcasts, internet, Starlink, very small aperture terminals, and so forth. So this is an outlined case scenario of how the various while you were talking, I think your bandwidth is limited. Online people is very yeah. slow. So can I try to yeah, the Wi-Fi? I think I think um the Wi-Fi here. I was connected to hotspot. Yeah, the hotspot is a little bit slow. Let me pause. Let me explain. Uh, folks, I'm sorry because uh, we are trying to adjust uh, uh, to connect to the faster internet, so you can see uh, there's less delay in your. See the chart. Will it take uh, one minute? Yeah, pull it down to the bottom. Yes. Can you share it? Yeah, I can share it again. This is. 
It's not on time though. Yeah. Sorry for the uh, temporary issue. Okay. Yeah, I think it's okay now. Go ahead. Can you move this? Yeah, now it's showing faster. Okay, we're back on track. So, don't worry about those things. There's online people that have no problem. It's only. So. Okay, can I see it now? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm glad we got that resolved in the beginning. So, this is a typical segment breakdown of what a space infrastructure would look like. You can see there's various connections between various um, segments. So, we have the ground. We have space, we have the links, which is like the arrows that point to each um, of the different subsystems, and then we have the user segment. And a lot of vulnerabilities, especially in terms of space systems, exist between the communication links. Since it's the easiest way you can get access to these systems, and I, I, it also reveals like the amount of attack surfaces and vulnerabilities between each of the different um, segments. I think a lot of people, when they think of satellites, they typically just think of the ground and the satellite communication link, but there's also many different avenues a hacker can pursue in order to compromise a system. Okay, so for the majority of this presentation, I'll be using satellites as an example. I think um, they're pretty typical when you're dealing with space systems, and it's easy to outline the security vulnerabilities, especially, especially with how um, they have been designed from scratch. Just a general overview of what a satellite is. A satellite is any object in space that orbits or circles around a bigger object. There's artificial and um, natural satellites. We're gonna be focusing on natural satellite, um, artificial satellites. And those are things that are engineered and put into orbit in space. That could be the International Space Station, different internet service provided um, providers that chose to launch their own um, satellite constellation. And satellites are a pretty broad target because they can do a wide range of things. Um, there's communication satellites, satellites do remote sensing, so climate research, astronomical satellites, navigation satellites like GPS, um, GLONASS, and so forth. So they're really wide target and they provide a wide range of services which exploited could result in a lot of damage. So whenever you're trying to outline threats that could possibly attack a satellite, there's a four-phase structure that is um, ingrained within the mindset of exposing vulnerabilities that may be intrinsic to the system. So firstly, there's a tracking phase, and this is mostly we're trying to gather information because you can't attack a system if you don't have any information about it. So this is where you use techniques such as open source intelligence and other forms of reconnaissance in order to figure out specific um, vulnerabilities that might be hidden within a satellite. Then you need to listen. Like I mentioned before, a lot of vulnerabilities exist within the communication links of satellites. 
So this is where hackers use something called eavesdropping, where they listen in on communications that's taking place in order to um, listen, to see the data and understand what's, what kind of private information is being sent. And then once they're able to listen into it, they go through the decoding and reverse engineering phase. And this is where you're, you're getting the communications through the satellite and then interpreting it. Because when satellite communications are being sent, there's many covert ways of hiding and protecting the data. So you'll, we'll talk about this later, but a lot of um, satellites have modulation schemes and various ways where they encrypt information. However, a lot of them, all the encryption techniques um, or modulation schemes that are being used within the radio communication links of satellites are very easy to reverse engineer where a hacker can take a look at it and they can figure out patterns within the data that can help them decode what's, what kind of like private information is being secured inside of data packets in order to get relevant telemetry. And lastly, once you're able to get that information, that opens up a lot of exploits that can be executed on a satellite um, during the hacking phase. So diving into phase one, which is reconnaissance, hackers do this by many different ways. You can use open source intelligence by using publicly accessible websites and data sets. And what they're looking to do is gather information relative, um, relevant to the hacking scenario. So most of the time, this will involve orbital configuration, like Keplerian elements, where the satellite is going to be within space, mission, which space vehicle launched the satellite, any affiliated organizations or um, organizations within the supply chain that provided components for the satellite and communications information. So you'll have uplink frequencies, downlink frequencies, any crosslink frequencies it might have with other satellites. And this is all really relevant for attacking it because there's a very narrow um, communications window that a hacker has with the satellite. So especially when you're trying to hack into a space system, timing is really important. Um, and getting information about the various subsystems is also really important as well. The most, easy, the most common way of running reconnaissance on space systems is through a technique called OSINT, also known as open source intelligence. And this is used within a wide range of hacking scenarios, not exclusively just for space systems. But this is a method of information gathering by analyzing pretty much any accessible document or data that's already accessible on the internet. So for example, this could include finding profile usernames on social media, looking through um, website metadata in order to find past um, website exploits, sifting through public records to do like personnel open source intelligence, or in the case of satellites, you can do geospatial analysis with satellite imagery. OSINT plays a huge role within the space sector because it's really important for finding threat intelligence and analyzing risks that are affiliated with um, satellite systems. 
So examples of this include obtaining telemetry information from a, a spacecraft in space um, by analyzing like publicly accessible data. You can also get very specific vendor information. You see this a lot with drone-based attacks, but with satellites as well, you can get um, vendor information from the various like, components that are located in a satellite. And you can also do things like geospatial intelligence, where you look through various satellite imagery repositories and locate um, events that are going on or people that might be at a specific place or um, look through various locations on a map. In the case of satellites, what hackers are typically looking for are the following. They're looking for any forms of identification. So this includes the type of satellite. What is it for? Is it for astronomical purposes? Is it for providing internet? Any companies or organizations it might be affiliated with. So typically they look through the supply chain um, and see which sorts of like subsystems and components that are located on the satellite in order to get um, organization-based data launch date, um, location, and so forth. And then we have orbital parameters. This is for uh, hacking context. So um, if you want to hack into a satellite, like I mentioned before, the amount of time you have to do it is very limited because satellites are constantly um, ass assuming the speed in orbit. So you typically have a few minutes um, to compromise a satellite, especially because since satellites are so far away from us, um, the communication between the satellites is not very good. Um, a lot of attenuations happen to the signal from the satellite, causing signals to be garbled, and an attacker, if they were looking to transmit something, possibly coordinate a jamming or a spoofing attack, they have a very narrow time span to do so. You can also do a lot with satellite imagery. You can look for various um, infrastructure systems, environmental trends, and do a lot of remote sensing analysis with uh, satellite-based um, imagery data sets. And lastly, you can decipher which protocols and encryption methods are being used on satellite communication systems. And this could reveal a lot, especially when you're trying to analyze vulnerabilities in ground control infrastructures, encryption methods, and it really helps out during the decoding phase of an attack. Um, these are general things I mentioned before, but specific examples. So for orbital parameters, these this will include Keplerian elements. Keplerian elements are described specific characteristics of how a satellite is oriented in space. And two-line element sets, also known as TLEs, it's just like a condensed data format for information about satellites and where they're located. In terms of communications, that's video frequencies, um, possibly frequencies of a transponder, in order to get information and communications from it. And lastly, passes and ground track. Um, this is really important if you're trying to 
coordinate a ground-based attack from it, um, from like a ground station, making sure that you have a satellite that is um, within radio visibility so you can coordinate and communicate with the satellite. So there's three main ways you can get information about a satellite. There's publicly accessible websites, which is extremely easy to do because there's so many resources out there that reveal information. Um, so a few main sites will be Celestrack and N2IO, and they provide generalized satellite information, such as two-line element sets, and general information about where a satellite is oriented above you. There's also past prediction software, such as AMSAT, that provides a website suite where you can um, understand when a satellite is going to be passing over you, and then you can visualize orbital elements using a site like orbital mechanics. Another way you could perform OSINT on a satellite is reading over documentation by a manufacturer, and usually they outline various components of a satellite. So they'll say, oh, this is a transponder, and this is the frequency it uses, this is um, the encryption method it uses. So you can find out a lot about um, specific subsystems by reading over um, accessible documentation. And lastly, I would say this would be the last resort, but it is possible. Um, when you go through the first two phases of looking over publicly accessible websites and reading over documentation, you can also do direct interception. That's where you tune into the communications of the satellite and gather telemetry readings. And then from there, you could try to decode those readings and get more private or discrete data. So a case study you, you can actually do at home is the International Space Station. And you can pull up a website like N2IO, and you can get all sorts of information about a satellite. So I just typed in the international designation, the NORAD ID of the ISS, which is 25544 into the N2IO website, and it showed me exactly where it's going to be passing next, the start azimuth and azimuth, the ground track relative to my location, and the orbital elements. So a hacker, let's say they had a ground-based transmitter, they know where to orient it in order to track down a satellite. They know what time they need to be at a specific location in order to exploit a satellite. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about two-line element sets. Like I mentioned, this is a very commonly used data format used to record and report the positions and orbits of artificial satellites. And this includes things like um, mean motion, eccentricity, inclination, all like characteristics of a satellite in orbit, so you know how you can target it. And with that information, you can plot where a satellite will be oriented near you. So you can coordinate some kind of communications-based attack. So just a general note on tracking and OSINT. It's typically used to find opportunities for exploitation. So this is purely a passive phase. We'll talk about passive and active attacks. Um, a little bit later in this presentation, but 
When you're dealing with anything having to do with reconnaissance, you're not actively attacking a satellite, but this is absolutely imperative in order so to coordinate an attack in the future because you need to figure out um, where a satellite's going to be oriented above you, what sorts of systems it relies on, and what sorts of infrastructure it already has in order to pinpoint vulnerabilities and outline an attack surface. And um, this involves looking through different components that are located on the satellite. And by sifting through various public data sets and um, information about the component layout of a satellite, you can start putting the puzzle together and figure out what sorts of exploits um, that might be inherent to the satellite. So after you gather information about a satellite, phase two consists of listening and eavesdropping. This is typically done using signals intelligence. And since most satellites use radio frequencies, you can use a lot of open source radio platforms, software, in order to decode communications that are being sent in space and figure out data. And this data can include telemetry, sensor readings, so this could be like volts, um, amperage, like how much resources being sent to different components on a satellite, um, its location, so forth, payloads. Payloads are what causes an action to occur in a satellite. So let's say you want the satellite to change its attitude within orbit, that would be in the form of a payload. Payloads also can contain commands, which could you could analyze. You can also create your own payloads um, and cause a spoofing attack, which you can um, force or entice a satellite to do a specific thing. You can also eavesdrop for media. This is really popular, for especially for digital video broadcast satellites or remote sensing satellites that send down a lot of um, imagery-based data, which you can perform reconnaissance on. There's also private or discrete information. Let's say you were able to eavesdrop into a satellite constellation for an internet service provider. Then you can get access to a lot of private credentials, leading to problems. For my research on satellites in the past, I would say communications is one of the key vulnerabilities inherent to satellite systems. And this is mostly because of the long range form of communication. Um, a lot of signals, like I mentioned before, directed from a ground station to a satellite are pretty weak because satellites are far away and there's a lot of environmental conditions. Like let's say it's really cloudy, really rainy, signal's gonna get attenuated and it's not going to be as strong um, as typical like ground to ground or let's say like ground station to like cell, cell tower communications. It's relatively weak, making it easy to um, exploit. So you can outline communications between the satellite in three stages. 
There's the uplink, the downlink, and the crosslink, which isn't outlined here. The uplink is in, is um, signals that are sent from a ground station to a satellite. So most of the time, this will be commands. Um, a lot of data is sent from the C2 link, the command and control link, from a ground station to a satellite. So you'll see a lot of subsystem-specific payloads. So um, commands telling a specific satellite subsystem to do an action. There's the downlink. This is mostly for sending down media and assets. So a lot of imagery satellites, they'll send down imagery. You'll have radio satellites sending down audio, so forth. And a lot of, trans um, a lot of satellites have a component called a transponder on them. And a transponder is a device that is used to convert a receive signal to another frequency and then retransmit it via the downlink. And usually satellite manufacturers outline the frequency of the transponder and their guidelines. And it's a great um, point of executing or starting an attack in terms of reconnaissance because you can derive a lot of information that is being sent from the transponder. I also wanted to mention frequency and bands. So satellites that use radio to communicate with one another and to communicate with ground stations are partitioned into segments. So you have like very low frequency, low frequency, um, high frequency, and so forth. And you have them segmented into the letters that are shown here at the bottom of the image. So there's the L band, the S band, C band, Expand and so forth, and those um, what what the satellite um, communication system is is assigned to in terms of frequency um, depends on what it's used for in application. So you, you see a lot of maritime radios that are located in the X band, while more um, astronomical based imagery satellites are in the KA band. So this leads to a general discussion about SATCOM. SATCOM stands for Satellite Communications, and this is a network infrastructure used by satellites to provide broadband internet around the world. Um, this could include other um, media services like mobile television and radio broadcasts. And this was located on the L-band, which is from one to two gigahertz. So the three main problems with SATCOM are that there, firstly, there's no universal security guideline yet. So especially with up-and-coming up companies, it's really a shot in the dark in terms of whether they should implement their own proprietary encryption protocol or use something that's standard like AES. Um, so with no really outlying universal security guideline, Companies don't really know what to take it, and that leads to um, economic concerns. Small companies who are trying to launch satellites into orbit really don't have the money to spend or the time to spend on developing their own independent encryption protocols, since it's really burdensome to develop your own custom encryption protocol. A lot of independent companies are not really partaking in the task of doing it, in, 
in lieu of um, time and resource constraints. There's also technical issues involved with having a universal encryption method. Like I mentioned before, signals from the satellite travel really, really long. And this makes it at risk of things such as packet loss and latency. You have a lot of factors in play here. And if you don't get encryption right, um, a lot of the infrastructure based off of satellite systems will not work. So it's a huge complicated mess in terms of implementing encryption. So a lot of companies, especially smaller ones, just choose not to implement encryption standard at all because they just want to save time. It's also surprisingly easy to do this. Um, a typical hacker, let's, let's say they were a script kitty, they could use very basic equipment, um, such as like a satellite dish antenna, or something more directional like a Yagi antenna. Alongside a software-defined radio, you could use something like the RTLSDR, which is a 20 to like $40 software-defined radio kit, and feed it the satellite communications into a decoder software in order to obtain communications. So it's relatively easy to do, and you don't need much um, to do it. All you need is some kind of as prediction software, a decoding software, and a few equipment um, to retrieve um, signals from a satellite. A case study of this is with GNSS. GNSS stands for Global Navigation Satellite System, and this is used to pinpoint where you are located on Earth. And one very common attack targeting GNSS is GPS spoofing. This is where you can um, fake where you are on Earth by sending um, malformed data up to a satellite. So for example, let's say right now I'm here in Los Angeles, I can spoof that I am in New York and I'm in a time zone of New York by sending a, a misconstrued packet to a satellite. And this can be done using relatively cheap hardware with um, transmission and receiving capabilities. So GPS spoofing can be executed using something like the HackRF1, which is like a $300 um, radio kit that has transmission and receiving capabilities. And you can send it file information containing GPS data and spoof where you are located on Earth. Once you're able to receive signals from a satellite, you'll have to go for the decoding and reverse engineering processes. And this is important because if a satellite does use encryption, you'll get a bunch of um, bits or data that is obfuscated or encrypted Meaning that, a satellite, um, meaning that a hacker would have to decode it and figure out the message um, that is ingrained within satellite, the satellite signal that is being sent. So types of data that is transmitted by satellite systems include the following. You have a lot of navigation and tracking signals. There's also telecommunication signals for media-based services, remote sensing data, 
pictures, audio, alongside telemetry, such as like spacecraft health statuses and operational information. In terms of decoding, it typically consists of demodulation and then the decoding part. Demodulation is a technique used to understand um, radio signals and convert it into binary. So the way um, information is transferred between satellite systems and ground stations is that in order to send information through space, they convert binary into a radio wave and then they transmit it because you, you can't um, send out binary data. If you can't have like a cable that connects a satellite to a ground station, it doesn't work. So you need to convert it to a radio wave so you can pass it through space. Um, and then once you demodulate data, um, which consists of using some kind of software to bind radio, you'll get binary or just like garbled um, encoded data, and you'll need to decode it. And decoding often inter um, often consists of understanding what packet framing structure the, the signal assumes and figuring out patterns and making inferences in order to get the relevant data you are targeting. This leads us into reverse engineering. Reverse engineering is a technique used by hackers in order to analyze um, signals that are being sent from a satellite in order to get its original format. This can be done by looking for various packets and outlining patterns within packets of information being sent from a satellite. And once you're able to reverse engineer and understand the bytes that are underlying a message, you can convert it into binary code and then decode it into whatever you're, you're trying to, to do. So for example, with sat weather satellites, you can demodulate signals from those satellites and then convert it to a bunch of binary. And if you format the binary correctly and you're able to reverse engineer it, you can get something like an image to the right. You can also do this with audio, pretty much any media format alongside text and values that are being sent from a spacecraft. You also have very common space packets, which is really helpful in terms of reverse engineering. So for example, the CCSDS packet format is a protocol used for a lot of space systems and understanding that there are formats already in place that are highly regarded. Um, it just makes the reverse engineering process easier because you'll know that most of these packets adhere to a protocol because a lot of companies don't really invest a lot of time into making their own proprietary protocol, meaning that you can use a standardized format and obtain data and reverse engineer the data relatively easily. And lastly, once you're able to extract the relevant data for an attack, you can go about exploiting and hacking, which is coordinating a very specific attack by targeting a inherent vulnerability of a attack surface. And there's two types of attacks you can do. There's active attacks and then there's passive attacks, which is more common. Active attacks 
um, include very direct actions against a space system. So, for example, you have jamming, kinetic attacks, lasers. This is the really dangerous stuff. Usually you need to have some form of equipment to do this. And then there's passive attacks. This is for gathering intelligence. Let's say you get access to very confidential information and you exploit it. And hackers typically use a variant of signals intelligence, spoofing, and surveillance to coordinate passive attacks. And typically, there's four main vulnerabilities that hackers try to hone in on when they're exploiting a space system. There's communications, which I would say is the most common. This includes jamming and spoofing. Jamming is where you like flood a communications link of a satellite so many times that it gets confused. Spoofing is a little bit more clever. You're trying to um, make information seem like it's real, even though it's fake. So for example, you have GPS spoofing where, let's say you fake you're in a different location, you can actually trick the satellite to really thinking you're in a specific location, even though you're somewhere else. Physical systems, um, this is a little bit more like, expensive and you don't really see a lot of script kiddies doing this um, or beginners doing this, but this includes um, electromagnetic attacks, uh, lasers, laser eavesdropping, missiles, so forth. And then there's firmware and software-based attacks. This will include fuzzing software in order to discover vulnerabilities, manipulating software, manipulating data that is being sent to the software in order to confuse it. And lastly, we have target attacks against the ground station themselves. Um, this is common because you don't need gear for the other three ones, you typically do need some kind of communications gear, like a transmitter in order to send a satellite something. But if it's directly to a ground station, you can use any machine and have it send data there. So this could be something like hijacking, denial service, and so forth. In terms of communication-based attacks, um, we have spoofing and payload injection which is transmitting false data to confuse a satellite. There's eavesdropping, which is tuning into unauthorized communication links to get access to private information. And lastly, there's denial of service, which consists of overloading the communication channel to a satellite in order to um, cause unnecessary interference to a satellite's activities. In terms of securing these systems, um, improving encryption techniques will be the most important. So implementing some kind of very strong end-to-end -end encryption like AES is typically very helpful. Also improving the enhanced authentic um, authentication methods that are being used and making sure that you're using protocols like TLS, in order to vet the data that is being sent. And lastly, having some sort of intrusion detection where you have some a software or something that's consistently monitoring a communication link to detect for suspicious activity, like a denial of service or jamming, spoofing. 
In terms of software and firmware that's being run on the satellites, there's um, four main attack points. There's malware injection, which is when an attacker tries to upload malicious software to perform unauthorized actions. There's hijacking of the C2 link. The C2 link stands for command and control. And this lets any unauthorized user or personnel to send commands and manipulate operations on a spacecraft. There's also firmware tampering, which is modifying code in order to introduce backdoors and malware into a space system. And lastly, there's persistent implants. This is um, specifically crafted software that is designed to stay on the satellite for a very long time in order to get long-term attack access to any operations it wants access to. And I would say the main way to mitigating this is implementing secure coding practices. And this is typically done by adhering to guidelines for software development and trying to figure out vulnerabilities intrinsic to software from the beginning. So you see a lot of standards such as NASA's JPL rule of 10, where you have a guideline specifically set in stone for developers to audit through the software. There's also code scanners and auditors to re review through your code. And you can statically analyze code using um, various comp compilation tools and also implementing security techniques within the coding process itself. So obfuscating your code and minifying it as much as you can, because if a hacker were to get access to the firmware or software um, running on a satellite, they can run a wide range of techniques. Usually fuzzing is the most common, and fuzzing is when you run specific unit tests, specialized tests against the software to find any vulnerabilities and I have like backdoors or anything. In terms of physical and kinetic and non-kinetic attacks, um, most of this is hypothetical, but the technology to do this does exist. There's missiles um, and ballistics, which can be launched with an intent to physically destroy or compromise the satellite. Non-kinetic attacks, such as electromagnetic waves, where you can use high-powered microwave radiation or um, covert radio frequency signals to in cause interference with the satellite or cause damage to electronic components, which is what high-powered microwave radiation can do. Specifically within the optical link with lasers, you can use lasers directed towards the satellite in order to blind any optical sensors it might have, cause damage to satellites, or any of the communication equipment on board. Another attack vector includes ground stations. Ground stations are equipped with a wide range of communication equipment, and they are responsible for planning, monitoring, and executing satellite operations. And typically what they do is they have large storage centers to decode and archive data to end users, making them really vulnerable to attacks such as unauthorized access, spoofing, and injection of malware. So in terms of securing these systems, 
Um, there has been more push to get secure by design principles ingrained within the engineering processes of space systems. And this is a common collective standards established by highly accredited organizations like the De Department of Defense, the NSA, making sure that space systems go through a rigid auditing process to make sure that they follow by cybersecurity guidelines. And three main techniques that are used in secure by designs are attack surface analysis, subsystem outlining, and threat matrices. Attack surface analysis is taking like a holistic view of the um, systems affiliated with a space system. So this would be ground, any communication links, um, radio protocols, and so forth. There's also, when you're, when you're looking at specific components and specializing them to the satellite itself, subsystem outlining is really helpful because it helps you outline various components that are used on the satellite and pinpoint affiliated risk factors. And then lastly, threat matrices. This is for prioritizing threats based on probability and damage control. So some threats will be inherently more dangerous than other ones. And this just helps designers and engineers prioritize which um, threat they should focus on depending on the context. So talking a little bit about satellite subsystems. Satellite subsystems are grouped components of a satellite that collectively work together in order to fulfill a specific task. So examples include communications. This will be like the transponder. This will be your antenna. Um, anything that is affiliated with how communications on a satellite operates. Power and electricals. This will include things like your battery, um, solar panels, and then we have the command and data handling, which will include any onboard bus systems you have, onboard computer, and so forth. And this ties into subsystem outlining, and this is a very common technique um, that is used in order to outline specific threat vectors that might be targeting a satellite. So for example, power system, an outline for that could be um, disabling solar panels. Let, let's say a hacker were to get access and send malicious packets. They could effectively disable all the solar panels located on the satellite and reduce the power supply, cause some kind of system malfunction. For the thermal control subsystem, this could um, include manipulating how um, Durable regulation works, and especially within a harsh environment like space, this could cause immediate overheating or access to cooling, which is not good. Then you have uh, for the propulsion system, sending commands to affect the satellite's attitude within orbit, changes positioning, data handling and processing. This could include um, sending direct commands to the onboard computer of a satellite in order to inject malware. And lastly, for a navigation system, this could include altering navigation data that is fed to that satellite in order to 
cause a satellite system to become confused within how it's oriented in its orbit and mislead its trajectory. As for threat matrices, this is a very organized method for cyber system risk assessment. And this is an example used by SPARTA, which is a regulation standard for space systems. And this outlines which um, cyber threats are important and which ones should not be emphasized based off of the likelihood, the probability of an attack actually occurring and how much impact it would have. So for example, um, I boxed three. Um, you can see SVAV1 is communication system jamming, and that's located in the top right corner since it would have a lot of impact and it's really easy to do as compared to something like SVAC4 right here, which is not as much of a threat um, because you can properly mitigate insider threats to a satellite and it's not as likely to occur. And then lastly, we have SVIT5, which is very unlikely to occur and won't have as much of an impact, which stands for like getting unauthorized control of a satellite computer. Um, typically, those types of attacks don't occur and it's harder to do as opposed to something like communication system chatting. have attack surface analysis. And this is just a very general holistic overview of vulnerability analysis for all the space segments, including the components themselves. And examples of this could be data, making sure you have message encryption in place, spacecraft software, making sure you have a secure operating system. So you're just generally like outlining different components that are with a satellite system. So in this case, it would be like the space segment and outlining specific vulnerabilities in order to get an attack surface list. And there's tools you can use to do this. Two very common ones is the attack standard um, and there's SPARTA, which is like a very specialized form of attack um, for space systems. And it gives you like this really nice display and it includes all stages of the satellite attack processes from reconnaissance to execution to defense evasion and impact. And it allows you to outline an attack or analyze previous attacks um, coordinated against a satellite in the past to analyze what went wrong. In terms of upgrading space cyber resilience, there are multiple directives and standards being, like, um, being put into place. There hasn't been anything internationally regarded or like universally regarded yet, but there are specific ones like Space Policy Directive 5, NASA Space Asset Protection Standard, and the Aerospace Organization Cybersecurity Protection for the Spacecraft Document. For the Space Policy Directive 5, this was a directive issued by the U.S. in 2020 aimed at enhancing the cybersecurity for space systems and infrastructure. And the three th main things 
things they outlined were communications protection, so making sure you have security in place against jamming and spoofing attacks, analyzing supply chain risks, because when you're building space systems, you're getting a lot of components, and all those individual components might have affiliated cyber risks. And lastly, making sure that encryption and proper authentication access was allotted. In terms of integrating security into development standards, you can break that down into four main categories. One is robustness, making sure that when you have different subsystems on a satellite or any space vehicle or any space system, making sure that one subsystem or like one component isn't responsible for handling everything. So you wanna make sure that different, um, you have diversity in terms of function. So let's say you, ha you have a specific functionality, um, making sure different components of a satellite is able to handle it. Opaqueness is also really important, especially for writing code or firmware for a satellite. This makes it difficult for a, uh, for a hacker to conduct reconnaissance because it's, it makes it difficult for any intelligence to be gathered by a space system. Also, putting constraints in place. So if a hacker were to hypothetically get access to a space system, you can limit what they can do. Um, an example of this is mitigating lateral movement. Lateral movement is um, the ease of which a hacker can um, exploit different aspects of a satellite. So confining um, what a hacker can get access to if they were to get access. And lastly, responsiveness, making sure that there's multiple ways for handling any threats or attacks, making sure you have simulation environments in place where you can simulate an attack and you can integrate responsive systems in order to mitigate the damage that can be done. You can also think of security on systems in terms of layers. Um, a very common model for this is OSI. This is applied for the communication processes of not computer networks, but it's also helpful for understanding space systems. And you have like these seven layers and um, the top one would be um, the most like abstract. So the application, you have presentation, session, transport, this is how like, information is being sent all the way down to the physical layer. And, and when you apply it to space, um, application would, and presentation and session would be affiliated with the software and the firmware. The network layer would be in terms of forwarding data packets and communications about a satellite. The data link is the physical communication links themselves. And then the physical layer includes like radio signals, electromagnetic, Wave emanations. And then lastly, I would say um, making sure that security regulations emphasize the OBC, also known as the onboard computer. And there's four main ways you can do this. Operating system is really important, making sure you have some kind of real-time operating system or a custom-built operating system for embedded environments. There's actually a very specific um, organization called SpaceOS that does this. 
and they use a very contained environment um, based off of a programming language called OCaml to make sure that the operating system is hyper secure for satellite specific applications. Making sure you have a good code environment in place is also integral. So having secure by design coding standards like JPL rule 10, also bus communications. Bus communications is the internal communications of a satellite. So this will, so for example, a bus would, would connect the onboard computer and allow it to communicate with the communication subsystem to allow it to send um, commands to the payload. So the bus ties everything together in terms of communications internally in a satellite. And you want something that is secure. So for example, let's say a hacker were to implant a malware into the satellite, it can't get access to the telemetry information that is being sent or any information that is being sent internally. And lastly, having encryption in place with the onboard computer is important as well. Ways um, security can be more streamlined is by consulting other developers and security researchers. And one way of doing this is via bug bounties. You see a lot of aerospace organizations contributing um, and like outlining their systems on various bug bounty forums, such as SpaceX, you also have NASA. And a bug bounty rewards security researchers um, to, to hack into them system, hack into their systems or discover vulnerabilities in their systems within a confined environment. And they usually give like a cash reward um, in order for um, security researchers to pinpoint a bug or vulnerability that might exist, but not really execute anything malicious. And those, um, and you see a lot of popularity in terms of bug bounty systems because it gives um, an, an avenue for um, people who are unaffiliated with aerospace organizations to contribute. We also have CVE submissions. A CVE stands for Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures. And a CVE is just a standardized identifier assigned to a publicly disclosed cybersecurity vulnerabilities. And you're seeing a lot of CVEs that are affiliated with, with space systems becoming more streamlined. So for example, uh, Satlink's very small aperture terminal recently had a C CVE reported against it. You also have CVEs for satellite modems and so forth um, that are making it more accessible to look into cybersecurity vulnerabilities. In terms of education and simulation, virtual machines for specialized space security applications is also becoming more prevalent. Virtual machines provide a virtualized computer computing environment where you can simulate various tasks that occur on a space system, such as like on satellite onboard computers or ground stations in order to test for security measures within a confined environment so you don't have anything go wrong on the actual onboard computer or the actual computers that are operating um, on the ground station. 
And lastly, we have space for the CTFs. CTFs are mini um, competitions for hackers. Um, they're typically um, designed for a specific um, threat analysis scenario. And one very popular space theme CTF was orchestrated, I think, a few years ago um, by a DEF CON aerospace hacking community. And they launched, I think last year, they launched a satellite in space called the Moonlighter that is purely just an environment, just, it just purely provides an environment for teaching people who are interested in space security how to compromise a satellite system in a safe system. So it does limit how much you can do to it, but you can do all sorts of cool stuff like retrieving imagery from the Moonlighter. You can also get telemetry readings, so it's really interesting. In terms of the evolving atmosphere of security in space, there's a lot going on. I would say three main shifting elements in regards to this would be lasers and photonic-enabled systems. So lasers are being employed, especially for ground communications and satellite, ground and satellite communications and intra satellite communication links to enable for faster data rates that are more secure and have a higher capacity for transmitting data. However, this doesn't stop other satellites from intercepting those communication links and figuring out what information is being sent. So um, it, as you see the transition from radio communication to laser communication, it just introduces another avenue for exploiting a satellite system. One really interesting um, trend is the use of quantum encryption for satellites. So this would hypothetically introduce unbreakable encryption standards for data integrity, but all, all this is purely research-based. So you have a research satellite called QKDSAT, which demonstrates quantum key distribution on a satellite. I think it was founded by the ESA. However, these have not gone widestream yet. And lastly, you're seeing international regulations starting to become developed. Uh, IEEE has a international regulation standard committee that's currently developing an international standard to make sure that all space vehicles and all space systems adhere to secure by design principles. And it's really interesting to see how those organizations are helping to bolster more secure by design discussions in the satellite atmosphere. In terms of getting involved, there's multiple communities within airspace that allow you to get more information about what's going on within this security tech sphere for space systems. There's a lot of conferences like DEF CON that have aerospace specialized villages. Um, there's also specific space specific cybersecurity conferences like um, HackspaceCon, which is coming up in April. And you can also take part in competitions at local conferences like Hackasat. 
Another great way to get involved is contributing to open source aerospace programs. So let's say you have a computer science background and really want to get hands-on knowledge, you can contribute to open source aerospace systems like F prime or SatDump in order to learn more about signals intelligence in relation to satellites. And lastly, you could participate in bug bounties if you're more from a security standpoint where you can look through various aerospace organizations. I know NASA has a lot, SpaceX as well, on sites like BugCrowd in order to see what sorts of security research is being done with those organizations. Just a general overview of what we covered on the talk, um, in the talk. We firstly went over the hacker mindset. So thinking of space systems as uh, vulnerabilities from a hacker perspective and what a hacker would do in order to coordinate an attack. And then from there, outlining a threat model, which consists of looking over various attack surfaces intrinsic to a space system in order to identify specific vulnerabilities. And then we cover secure by design, which is stringently looking over what was found during the threat modeling process and developing and integrating guidelines into development standards. And lastly, we covered the future of security, where things are headed in terms of space and what sorts of um, technologies are being developed in that regard. Well, um, thank you so much again for attending this presentation. Let me know if you guys have any questions. Um, I'll, I'll be happy to take some questions Right now, if you have any questions after the presentation, feel free to talk to me or reach out to me via my email. Um, you can also learn more about the work that I do on my website, also on my company site as well on Stellarx Labs. But thank you so much, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for your presentation, very informative. Interesting. Uh, I'm actually going to talk another hour and a half or more. <laughs> very interesting. Just uh, touch the basis, basically. But always very interested, actually, to me at least. But um, uh, I find it uh, interesting uh, about faking the payloads. Um, yeah. Could you could you a little bit uh, enlighten me? How can you create your own payload to change altitude? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So. That involves like the first three phases of attacking a satellite. So in order to make your own fake payload, you need to understand what communication standards the satellite adheres to. So this will include performing reconnaissance on any um, other satellite communication subsystem components. So understanding what the satellite is using in terms of its receiver, its transmitter. And then after you do that, you need to get direct communications information about a satellite. So you need to understand what packet protocol it uses. I, I mentioned the space protocol or like CCSDS. So it, I would say it's a very integrated process of looking over which signals are being used by the satellite, reverse engineering it so you understand the structure of how information is being sent. And then once you have that, you can structure your own message. So let's say you have a satellite that's using like a space packet protocol, you could 
utilize that same template for your packet and then use a transmitter and send a nefarious or like a spoofed packet. Although there are like barriers like on the satellite itself. So let's say like the satellite has secure firmware that can detect for like very absurd telemetry readings. So like let's say you wanted to tell a satellite to change its voltage, you know, um, it will take a really large value, but you could trick it. Um, so like let's say you just wanted to send a specific value, you send a value and you can trick various subsystems on the satellite. So you can rotate the satellite solar panels, you can change the amperage, the current, you can do all sorts of things. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, my name is Christian Chalugarita for those. Thank you so much. I have a question yeah. about five years or so ago, our AIAA chapter had a speaker and it was at the uh, former TRW uh, cafeteria. He was a former federal person that they set up a cybersecurity program at Cal State Dominguez Hills at graduate level. I want to know about, you know, are there other programs like that? I'm not in that this form of work, but yeah. that's what I heard. Yeah, definitely. I would say there have been more events um, hosted by local organizations. Um, I know there's going to be a fusion aerospace accident. <laughs> Um, there's also more online initiatives, so you can participate in like bug bounties um, and online communities. Like there's online aerospace.com communities, which allow you to like develop your own simulated environment for satellite systems. Um, in terms of like getting more formal exposure, I would say conferences are your best bet. So you're seeing a lot of um, conferences, I think, HackspaceCon, um, there's also like B-sides, but all those conferences have like aerospace sections now where you have custom like CTS you can play um, and various like organizations and employers who like create their own CTS for the um, conference at hand. You know, Mike, can I add a little bit to that? Yes, um, yes. So I work with a number of universities, and to kind of add to that answer is that there are a lot of universities now that are really focusing towards cybersecurity because they're starting to realize now that any person with some technical ability is able to go out and get hardware very easily nowadays, right, and be able to do, like Angelina was talking about, do some hacking. So now a lot of universities realize, hey, we have to change our focus because cybersecurity is going to be big. So a lot of universities, whether big, small, large, are starting to have either courses and or dedicated programs strictly for cybersecurity. So you'll see that a lot nowadays. I think Mark online wants to say something. Mark, uh, I saw you are uh, trying to say something. Do you want to... Go ahead. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's not there. 
Mark, do you want to say something? I saw you were uh, trying to speak out. Uh, yes, uh, I'd like to know uh, what sort of uh, job opportunities are available for recent graduates of a cybersecurity boot camp. Yeah, um, you're seeing, from what I'm seeing in terms of like a technical and organizational standpoint, you're seeing a lot more job opportunities in, um, offered by organizations like um, <clears throat> SpaceX or um, or more like defense-based organizations that provide more security-focused roles. So like for SpaceX, they have StarShield and Starlink initiatives. Um, and, you, and with them, they're getting jam, jamming and spoofing attacks all the time. So I would say as a whole, um, there are, is a lot more opportunities available now for getting into security in the space sector. Um, and you're seeing very integrated pathways in terms of career trajectory because security can be ingrained in all aspects of development. So let's say you're a software developer, having a security background is really important. Um, even like a systems engineer needs to have a good understanding of how um, communication protocols um, need to be secured and how how security fits together in a holistic standpoint. So I would say there are many opportunities if you do pursue security um, like through a formal educational pathway, especially um, with like pre-established like aerospace organizations alongside like you can also go down a very um, deep rabbit hole with defense as well. Oh, I see Robert online. Robert, Mr. Phipps? Yeah. Do you want to speak up? Can you, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Excellent. To answer the question that was posed, a lot of companies have dropped their requirements for degrees to open up the cybersecurity field to those without formal education, like a bachelor's degrees, recently saw some postings from Aerospace Corporation itself, where they were targeting folks with bachelor with with the high school degree diplomas to help with their security. Uh, specifically, was targeted at more the Air Force enlisted background, but someone with a cybersecurity boot camp that has like a Security Plus certification has a shot at a job these days. So I would encourage the person to get some certifications so they have something to throw on their resume. And if you are a young person like our speaker looking into a program, then yes, absolutely. Get one of those cybersecurity degrees and uh, you've got a great future there. Thank you. Thank you so much for adding that, I appreciate it. Oh, well, we're waiting more questions. You mentioned the quantum computing, quantum uh, yeah. encryption thing. Uh, is is you mentioned is it ESA? Yeah, it was ESA. I know um, there's like a Chinese organization that like actually got a QKD message being sent. Um, 
to be honest, I don't know too much about the quantum encryption sphere, um, but I think it is very interesting oh, how, the, okay. how it's being implemented. Yeah, I think I know the news you're talking about in quantum entanglement. Yeah, to send, to send messages. Messages. So okay, yeah, because my question was because the quantum computer right now is still very limited. You know, IBM has a very big uh, superconducting device, and uh, some company has. Uh, but there's another group of company that just applying the algorithm, but using regular regular computing. So mm -hmm. I was not quite so sure uh, what is the uh, facility they are using. Yeah, I'm not too sure about the technical details of okay. that as well, but it looked pretty worth looking into. Yeah. Thanks for pointing it out. Okay. Very, very good. So any more question here? Um, folks online, any question? Uh, Mr. Kumar Santosh, do you um, have a question? Go ahead. So, uh, any thoughts on uh, securing the PLM systems from which the CAD data for the aerospace companies, uh, like Lockheed Martin, for example, F-35, it's well known that uh, the Chinese Communist Chinese may have gotten access to plans for the F-35 as an example. At least that's what was reported publicly. Um, and so any thoughts on cybersecurity in terms of securing the PLM systems and use of technologies such as uh, encrypted, uh, encrypted storage media, hard drives, things of that nature as it relates to uh, cybersecurity? Yeah, um, so I'll start with I would say that relates to a point I made earlier in the presentation, having a more unified encryption system. So you don't have like proprietary encryption protocols all over the place. Um, having a unified encryption protocol um, would be really helpful. I don't have specialized experience with PLM systems, but that's what I would say intuitively. Okay, so uh, any more questions? Then you don't mind. Let me add a little bit to that as well. Um, because uh, technologies are rapidly evolving, for example, you have RFIDs, active and passive, right? Um, when I was working at Northrop, things were evolving so quickly because of potential vulnerabilities, such as mm -hmm. magazines now having RFID on them. So now magazines are banned inside certain buildings, right? And so that's why like, it's, because things are getting so small and the capabilities are growing so fast that every opportunity now, you have to look at as a possible vulnerability, right? To the point where we're banning magazines going into certain buildings, right? So uh, a lot of companies like Northrop and the Lockheeds, they're looking at um, all different kind of areas that's coming in, USB sticks, you know, years ago, USBs weren't very widely used in, in certain areas, but now that they are, now there's additional <coughs> protocols, it's got to go through scanning, it's got to go through approvals and so on and so forth, right? So they're constantly evolving daily, right? Understanding what's out there and what can be done with that kind of technology. This is, that's interesting, but what should we do? You know, Elon Musk is doing this uh, brain, human brain, <laughs> So men will be banned from entering North Korea. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's not far off. <laughs> <laughs> right.
legal question? This, obviously, this is a very exciting, you know, topic. A lot, a lot of things going on, but you know, just in terms of today's meeting, any question anymore? Okay, if not, let's thank Angelina again. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of the um, Los Angeles uh, speaker section, uh, we have a uh, appreciation certificate to present. Uh, so, Janine, um, so forward. So, thank you so much for your excellent presentation. So uh, let me first do this. Uh, stay here, uh, folks. Uh, let me first start the recording first. Recording. Stop recording.